0: So Mark chapter 5, and uh, you'll find it on page 840, I think that's right. Mark chapter 5, 840, and we're looking this morning from verse 21. It's, a, it's an amazing story. We're going to read from verse 21 all the way to verse 43, but it connects as a story, as I think you'll see. And in the context, let me just remind you what's happened. So we looked last week, a little earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus went across the lake to the other side. Well, now he's actually gone back again, and as I say, a remarkable thing happens. We pick up the story in uh, chapter vi- chapter 5, verse 21. Let's hear God's Word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, something to eat this is God's word Amen author and evangelist Michael Green once said we live in an age of sermonettes and sermonettes produce Christianettes. (laughs) Never has this been more true when it comes to the issue of um, pain and suffering. You see, in many ways, the church at large has lived for a long time on what I suppose you could describe was a, a diet of thin gruel. You know, just little stories about what the dog did this week or something like that. Well, it's all very well, I suppose, if you like that kind of thing, until you come across a real issue of pain and suffering in your own life. And then what you find is that you don't have the emotional bandwidth. You, you, You don't have the intellectual foundation to be able to survive when you go through pain and suffering, which of course is the question we're looking at this morning. It's interesting to compare the kind of questions that people ask in different situations, different times in history. For instance, back in the eighteenth century, when of course people suffered in many ways far more profoundly than we do, because of course we have modern medicine and painkillers and that sort of thing. Back in the eighteenth century, you do not find people constantly asking, "What about? What, why does a God of Love allow pain and suffering?" That they suffered, but that wasn't the predominant question. Or even um, in that period of time in this country where there was so much trauma, so much pain, so much suffering, the Civil War, thousands of people dying and families bereft of their sons and extraordinary trauma. You do not find hundreds of books being written trying to answer the problem of suffering when God is a good God and a loving God. You don't find that. No, instead, actually what you find is a time of revival. Many people came to faith. Contrast that with a time when the church was, frankly, giving really a pretty poor answer to the problem of suffering. Uh, The answer that the church was giving was that uh, we live in the best of possible worlds. Well, really? I mean, I can imagine some worlds without the kind of pain and suffering that I know about. That was the answer was given. And then, you know, that famous unbeliever Voltaire uh, wrote a novel, uh, Candide, um, laughing at that answer, ridiculous, absurd, in fact, cruel. How can you say it's the best of all possible worlds when with the suffering that we experience, that, that, that I experience? you experience. And so we come to the story we're looking at today, and what I want to argue is that this story shows how the story, the story of the Bible, of the gospel, of Christianity, this story in microcosm, in miniature, shows how the story of the Bible, the gospel, Christianity, answers the question of suffering and pain. This story shows how the story answers the question. So let's look at it together. The story really has three movements to it. The first movement is in this initial section in verses 21 to 24 around there. Jesus, of course, he, you remember he's surrounded by crowds. There's hundreds, perhaps thousands of people there. They, 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 he's crossed over the other side of the lake. There he is. And then suddenly Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue, rushes up to Jesus, falls on his knees before Jesus and begs Jesus to heal his um, sick uh, daughter. Now, I just need you to imagine this. So, he's the synagogue ruler. He, he's like the chairman of the board or something, uh, he's, but, but he's also a religious man. So, it's like he's chairman of the elders, but he's come to the end of his rope. His daughter is about to die. You know, there's nothing quite like having a sick child that would do that to you. Perhaps you have a sick child now. Maybe that's why you're here. What are, you, what are you going to do? Plus, there's also nothing... It's interesting how Mark makes it clear that it was not just one of his children, but it was his daughter. For a father to have his little girl be so vulnerable and unprotected. When you have children, you open yourself up to a world of great joy and and excitement and flourishing and fruitfulness, but you also open yourself up to a world of pain, right? (laughs) That was a strong amen over there. (laughs) We know what you mean. We all do, those of us who are parents. His daughter is dying. What's more, this chairman of the board was probably a rich man. Then as now, one of the ways you end up on a board like this, it's not the only way, for sure, there are many other ways, but one of the ways is that you are a person of significant means to help the, the synagogue flourish, the charity do well. He was probably a rich man. Made no difference. Powerful man, rich man. You know, we can think sometimes that the rich and powerful don't suffer wrong. Suffering is the great leveler. So here's Jairus. What does he do? He asks Jesus. I mean, he, 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 we have such a funny idea about prayer, don't we? You'll you, you, come across people saying, you know, um, yeah, I'll pray for you about that as if, if, if it's nothing. Or, 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 you know, I'm going to send prayers your way. You don't send prayers someone else's way. You're praying to God. It's not like sending best wishes. You're, pray, you're praying to God. And, and and look at how he prays. He doesn't just, you know, he's desperate. He, he's He's not. He's not sort of. Yeah. Okay, Lord, I wonder if you would help me here a little bit. And he, he goes up to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he and he cries out to him and says, "Help me! Help me! I mean, I can't. My my daughter. Will you will you help me, Lord? Please. That's prayer. Help." And he's not. He's also not vague. You know, I sometimes wonder whether our prayers are answered, are not answered, because we don't actually ask for anything. You know what I mean? It's like, Lord, would you please bless this situation? What does that mean? No, it's. Lord, will you come and heal my daughter? He's desperate. He's specific. So this, this first part of the movement, uh, uh, the first movement of the story, really just shows how it, 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 it opens up this painful suffering of this strong, powerful ruler with the vulnerability of his daughter about to die. He could do nothing. Who's desperately pleading that Jesus would intervene. Maybe that's where you are. And then we come to the second movement of the story. Obviously, Jesus goes along with him and the crowd follows him. This is really the middle section. verses 24 to verse 36. Jesus goes with Jairus and the crowd comes along with him. It's like a parade or something. There's thousands of people are going along with them. But then there there are a couple of surprises in this story. The first surprise is there's another suffering person. Uh, this time, it's not a, a young girl, but an older woman. This woman had been suffering with, with, with some sort of serious physical problem for, for a long time, for actually over a decade, for 12 years. Let that just sink in a moment. Twelve years. And uh, Mark makes sure we know how long it is so that we understand the seriousness of the situation, but also so we can see the parallel with her suffering for 12 years and the little girl who's at the point of death, who we find out at the end of the story is 12 years old. This is about how this story shows that the story answers the question of pain and suffering. So there's this woman. She comes up and she touches Jesus. She's, she, like Jairus, is desperate, though for different reasons. she has gone everywhere. she has gone to all the physicians, all the doctors. And she thinks to herself, you know, I'm not going to bother Jesus. He's, he's awfully busy. There's a big crowd of people. I, I, I. Maybe she didn't feel religiously confident enough, like Jairus, to actually go up and speak to him. You know, Jairus is a synagogue ruler. Perhaps he knew the right things to say she won't do that. She just thinks, if I, if I, just, if I just touch his garment. And, and, and power, power goes out from Jesus. And she's healed. And Jesus, the story is very dramatic actually, the way it's told. Jesus, as it were in this crowd, is sort of spinning around. He's, he's sort of, who touched me? Who touched me? Who, who, who touched me? And the disciples, of course, well, what are you doing, Jesus? I mean, there are there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of people here all sort of cramming up against you. I mean, what do you mean, who touched you? Lots of people touched you. And Jesus, no, 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 you don't understand. Who touched me? Who touched me? It's the touch of faith, of course. There's a lot of people here. Are you going to touch Jesus by faith? you can do it right now. You can reach out to Jesus and say, Lord, I need help. You can just touch Him. It doesn't require a lot of faith, you know, just the touch of faith and you'll be saved. You may be healed too. It does happen. I've Seen people healed. I had a friend once who was diagnosed with a uh, terminal brain tumor. A visiting preacher went and prayed for him. He was healed. The doctors had no idea how it had happened. And uh, now my friend is um, a medical doctor himself. It does happen. But then here's the other surprise of this story it doesn't always happen. So get this. I mean, the. Just the. I mean, who. So right when Jesus is announcing to this woman who'd suffer for 12 years, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, daughter. Right as Jesus is speaking, people come up to Jairus and say, Your daughter is dead. My goodness, how could you how could your heart not be broken for that man? He's just he's just seen that Jesus can do it. He just took a touch of faith and she's better, and my daughter is dead. I mean, God, what are you doing? I mean, Jesus, why couldn't you have walked faster? You know? I mean, I asked first, hey, I was the front of the line. That also happens. There's a delay. You know, there's a story of the uh, great missionary leader, J. Oswald Sanders, who once turned up late to a conference that he was due to preach at. He didn't know what anyone else had been preaching on. He got there, flew off the plane, went straight to preach, preached on the text of how, uh, in Acts Gospel, how James was killed by Herod, but Peter was set free. As he preached on this, he noticed a strange sort of atmosphere as he was preaching. He wasn't, couldn't identify it, but it was odd. Afterwards, he discovered that those missionaries that he was preaching to had recently had one of their missionary group escape from an issue of serious persecution, but the other missionary had been killed, and they were trying to figure out God's sovereignty and all this, and he preached on that text. James was killed, but Peter was set free. Not only that, He discovered that the preacher before him, unknown to him, had preached on exactly the same text. Not only that, that preacher had preached on exactly the same text as the preacher before him. And the missionaries were just blown away. God was obviously saying something very specific to them about his sovereignty over how one can be healed. And another not. Maybe that's where you are. You've prayed. What about my daughter? What about my situation, God? So, what's the answer? Well, now we come to the third, the third movement, which is the sort of end section, really, verses thirty-seven to forty-three. And as I say, I want you to see, this is what I'm arguing, that this story shows how the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, answers the question, that question of suffering. And this is, I think, going to, this is mind-blowing, and I want you, I think you're going to see it. So, this, this final part of the story, okay, so what's going on? Jesus goes to Jairus' house, Right? And when he gets there, they're all mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. They're mourning, they're weeping, they're wailing. Actually, there's some evidence that those days, they hired, like a rich man like Jairus would hire... Professional mourners, so that the the loved one would get the right kind of send off. You see, so they, these were probably paid mourners to come and to elevate the fact that the, the daughter of a significant man had died, and so that everyone would know and appropriately mourn. They were there mourning, and Jesus. You see, you know, we mourn, but not like those in that hope. Jesus, Jesus comes. He looks around, sees these professional mourners. And he puts them outside. It, it's like he says. You're not needed here anymore. We're not doing that anymore. as a new day. And then he goes into um, to the room and, of course, raises her from the dead. You say, well, how does this answer the problem of pain and suffering. Let me back up for a little bit and then land it. So the Bible's answer to the problem of pain and suffering is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where because of our rebellion, the world around us and indeed also the world inside us, both Nature and our emotions and thinking and our own bodies, all this is out of whack, is broken, is not how it should be. That's the world we live in. That's, okay, so, but God, can't He do anything about that? Doesn't He love me? Yes, He can. He sent Jesus into the world to take on Himself the sufferings of the world that we might be saved from this world of pain and suffering. His, his, his bloody death on the cross healed and saved, the bleeding wounds of this, of, of this woman, the bleeding of this woman. He took in himself our pain, our bleeding, our sins in his death on, his, on the cross and just for a touch of faith you're saved. You could be healed too. Sometimes that happens but not always for there is this delay And the child you prayed for, the situation you prayed about, the problem you prayed to go away, does not, will not, is not made better. There is pain and suffering in this world, and yes, death. But this story shows how the story answers the question, for that is not the end. So there there he is at Jairus' house. And he takes the hand of that little girl and says, "Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise." It's actually the kind of thing that a parent would say to a child when they're waking the child up in the morning to get ready to play or go to school. Talitha kumi little girl, get up. I don't know, if you're a parent, I don't know what what technique you use to get your children out of bed. Or if you're a child, what your parents did to get you out of bed. I I don't know, when I was growing up, and we do sometimes the same thing, we had this little thing that we would sing, perhaps you know it, you know, arise and shine and give God the glory, glory, don't worry, I will not sing it to you. Those of you, in fact, some of my children have asked me to stop singing for good reason. We die, and the next thing we will hear, little girl. It's time to get up. My boy, let's get up and play. How this story shows that the story of Jesus, the gospel, the good news, answers the question of suffering. Now you say, well, okay, uh, but, but, but does God not love me? He does love you. He loves you so much. Every time you have in your mind the thought, God doesn't care, will you look at the cross and see there that Jesus does care? He does love you. You say, well, can he not do anything about it? Why is there this delay? Why, why is he waiting? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. He's waiting so that you would believe. We live in this in between time when the church, churches like College Church, are a mission. We have a message, we have an opportunity. And if you are not yet a Christian, you too have an opportunity will not last forever. There is a moment, a delay, when, as Jesus says to Jairus, do not be scared. Just believe. And if you do, one day, One day, you'll hear Jesus say to you, it's time to get up. Little girl, arise. My son, arise. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, by your Spirit you would soften hearts and open minds to this story that shows how the story answers the question. Perhaps you are in the midst of real pain. Maybe you have asked Jesus to intervene and there seems to be a delay. Would you hear Jesus' word to Jairus, don't be scared, just believe. Lord, I do ask that we would be a church that when faced with suffering has the confidence of that new day to come and lives a life of commitment to you and joy, even in suffering. In the name of Jesus, amen.